Man, it's great to be here worshiping with you guys. And uh, for those that weren't here last week, yep, I'm going to preach sitting down. And uh, broke my toes, and there's a lot of story in it, and you'll hear it in last week's sermon. So get back and check that one out, and uh, you'll hear more about it there. I don't want to talk about it anymore, right? All right, so man, it's great to be worshiping with you. We're walking through this series called Who Am I? And we're looking to find our identity in Jesus Christ. What does that even mean? And, and what hope do we have in him? And we've been walking through the different truths of that so far from Ephesians chapter 1. We'll be walking through chapters 2 and 3 as well. And uh, excited to be walking through that with you. So we've been walking through this book and plowing through it. We got some impact groups that are launching last week and then uh, like 200 new people that are launching this Sunday, today, and on Tuesday. So that's awesome to get going. And uh, so make sure you're using those books. Make sure you're filling those out. Uh, does everybody have your book? You know what book I'm talking about? Lift your book up in the air so everybody can see, all right? That's the book we're talking about. Make sure you got that. If you don't have that, if you don't have one, get one, all right? Make sure you grab one on the way out. If uh, somebody in your family doesn't have it, grab one for them. That's great. We've got more that we got shipped in for people to have them. So make sure you do get a hold of that, and uh, you'll want to be using that to fill out. It gives you... The, uh, yes, the sermon that we preach here, but it also gives you the reading plan throughout the week and questions for impact groups to be able to get prepped for. So you want to make sure you get that. There's also some great additional resources at the back you can be using too. So hopefully that book will be of help to you, all right? So uh, why don't you turn to page 28 in that book, and uh, let's get started here. You know, I just want to let you know God's been doing some huge things in this church over the past weeks, and uh, especially this week, just a lot's been stirring and a lot's been going on. We actually had uh, somebody come into the church on Thursday, just some struggles happening and some questions, and asked if he could talk to me. I was not available. I was on the phone uh, with a conversation trying to manage something there, and um, so he ended up meeting with a different one of our pastors, and just in the matter of sharing out here in the hallway, he ended up getting some things cleared up, ended up accepting Christ as Savior, and uh, came to trust him, knows where he's headed now for eternity, and uh, just getting rocked and excited about what God is doing. Amen? And God is working in this place. Amen. Listen, it's not just on Sunday morning that people are getting saved around here, and it's like, you better not drive by, you might get saved on a Thursday, right? And uh, I love what God's doing here, and let's not toy around with this. Holy Spirit moving in a huge way here, and may we grasp what God is doing, be real to what's taking place, and celebrate all that he is. Praise be to God, all right? So uh, who am I in him? We're diving in today to I am enlightened, Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. So we got the ushers coming forward. They got Bibles in their hands. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. They'll get one to you, all right? Ephesians 1, starting in verse 15, and uh, if you need a Bible, just keep your hand raised. They'll get a Bible to you. So the first point here, what does it mean to be enlightened? God's helping us to know or understand some things. So the first thing, I can know my stunning God personally. I can know my stunning God personally. I can know him. You hearing me? I can know him. That's a huge privilege. What a benefit that you get to know your God personally and uh, powerfully. It's not know about him, it's know him. There's a major difference. The awesomeness of our God and do you actually grow in your walk with him? Is that where you're at? Are you getting to know him more and more? That's the privilege we have. May God be glorified, all right? So let's start here in verse 15. 
He says, for this reason, Paul talking now, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of, your, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. All right, breaking it down here. For this reason, that's a lot like the word therefore, all right? It's a connecting word. It tends, tells you to look backwards. So if you look back into the verses before it there, you see what he's talking about. He starts in verse 13. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed, all right? Then he moves forward and he says, for this reason, right, he's amped up, like because you've heard the gospel and because you've believed in who Jesus Christ is, because you are sealed unto eternal salvation with him, because of that, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, like that's the other way he's saying it, I'm just telling you, I heard this went down in your lives and I'm so happy about it. All right, Paul's celebrating what's going on in the church at Ephesus. And uh, these guys coming to trust Christ as Savior. They heard of Christ and they trusted him. Notice there's two things here though. Because he heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus and they had a love toward all the saints. He heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus like they were rocked about who Jesus Christ was. Stunned with his greatness they loved the Lord their God with all their heart and soul and mind and strength, right? They were passionately following Christ. They got the first thing right, and then they spilled to the second, and then they loved their neighbor as themselves. They went out and they loved towards all the saints. How many saints? Not just the ones they thought were cool, not just the ones they thought might respond the best, but all the saints. They poured it on. They First went vertically passionate in their love for their Savior, filled to the rim, spilling out. Now they're loving those around him, all right? And uh, he loved to be able to say, please hear me. This is not, they first went and loved all the people, and then hopefully they'll figure something out about God and how cool he is, right? And then maybe they'll start to get this God thing going. That's putting it backwards, right? Everybody say, it's not that. It's not that. The bottom line is this is him passionately, vertically going after Jesus Christ. It's about the church at Ephesus, excited about who Christ is, this massive worship going on. And as they're filled to the top with who Christ is, spills over and starts pouring out to those around, and they start loving the others around them and caring for them. It's a really big deal. First vertical, then horizontal. May God get all the glory. And all of God's people said... That's what you have going on here. He's like, I'm excited for what I'm hearing about the church at Ephesus. Now he starts to get real about how he's praying for them. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I do not cease to give thanks for you. What can we learn about Paul's prayer here, just as we look at it for a second? First of all, he does not cease. Right? Pray always. Looking for the ways to interact with your God and the stuff that he's doing. And please note what he does. He does not cease to give thanks. Man, pour it on. Talk to your God. You have a chance to know him as the almighty king of the universe. As the one who can do anything. Are you talking with him? Are you interacting with him? 
Are you sharing what's going on in your life? See, all too easy, all too often, it's easy for us to walk by and simply say this. Well, you know, I prayed, I kind of, I talked to him, you know, but I, I don't know if I really have much to ask from God right now. I'm good. And so we just sort of set it down. And then when we get into the middle of crisis, then we start coming to God. Now we're like, God, do you know what's happening here? I'm not sure you see this. Let me help you understand it. Let me share my perspective on this, right? And so our sharing in prayer is actually of sorts we're trying to manage God. We're going to move him where we want him to be. We're going to ask him to do what we want him to do. And please hear me, I'm not saying it's wrong to ask for things to be covered. It's not wrong to be praying to your God for answers to prayer. That's called supplication. We're called to it. Okay? Great for that, but so much more. Look at what he's praying for. I do not cease to give thanks. Thankfulness. Coming before your God saying, I see you at work, God, and it is awesome. I see what you're doing over here, and and Lord, I'm not even sure I get what's happening yet, but I'm sure you're doing something in this, the way that all came together. And God, I see you working. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for the one who was saved. Thank you for these others who have trusted Christ. Thank you, God, for what you're doing. And that's prayer, a thankfulness. Man, a lot like we just did here when we were praying for Haiti. And Lord, please help us as we go. Yes, but Lord, thank you for all that you're doing for the 25 who were gotten baptized, for the one who realized right then and there and said, me too, please. What do I need to do? And Lord, thank you that you have appointed unto them to believe. You have stirred a soul. You have drawn them to. You have rocked the place. And thank you, God. Thank you for what you're doing. And uh, It's a huge prayer. Simple question. So, how are you praying for your family, for your friends? How are you praying? Are you ready to lift it up with all you've got, unceasing, thankful, constantly praying that God might move and excited for seeing him where you've already seen him move? Lord, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you. Man, I'm telling you that thankfulness will rock your worship. It just does. It changes how you approach your God. Less about me, more about the king who knows everything. Thank you, God, for what you're doing. And uh, Paul's like, I do not cease to give thanks, remembering you in my prayers, remembering you, literally making mention of you. That's what it literally says in the original, making mention of you. He's like, hey, God, and speaking of Ephesus, wow, Thank you for that, God. That was awesome what you were doing there. I'm so, so enamored with you and your work in their lives and how they're coming to trust you. And thank you, God, and making mention, remembering. Man, I don't think we believe firmly enough in the power of prayer. It's just too easy to walk past it and try to make it all about me and the actions I have to do. Lord, help me to trust in you and your actions. I'm counting in you and what you're doing. We're going to talk a lot more about that as we go through the passage today. He says, what is he praying for? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, the Father, so God the Father, Lord, may you pour this on now. May God the Father pour it on what? Pour on the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. 
And uh, just so you know, some of your translations uh, say a spirit of wisdom and revelation, not the spirit, right? And so which is it? Is it a spirit or the spirit? Is it like the Holy Spirit? Or is this talking about my spirit, like pouring into me and giving me a spirit of wisdom and revelation? And I'll just say, I think the answer is yes. It's both of them, really. Let's be honest. If the Holy Spirit's pouring it on, you're going to get a spirit of wisdom and revelation. He's going to lead you into all truth. He's going to guide you into all truth. He's going to convict you of sin and righteousness and judgment. He is going to shape you with wisdom and revelation. But I also believe this is firmly about the Holy Spirit bringing it to you and a gift you have in him. And yes, it is God the Father through God the Holy Spirit pouring into your life wisdom and revelation. Wisdom, like a knowledge that you start getting how to apply into this world in a way that will glorify God. Wisdom. He starts teaching you the ways of Christ and the ways of the kingdom, the ways of our God, the ways of this church, that God might be glorified. You have a wisdom about you. You are smart to going after things. You might be sitting here and you're like, I don't feel like I have a lot of wisdom. And uh, what's stepping in between then? The Holy Spirit loves to pour it on. And uh, Maybe there's some, some moments of sin that are just, it's time. Time to be done, time to set them aside. Maybe there's distraction going on in your life, just very ridden with self, and it's time. It's time to be done. Are you ready to set that down and hand it to him? No distractions. Lord, I want to hear from you. Teach me and shape me. Wisdom and, and revelation. This is literally a revealing, the word in the original language is apocalypsis. Can you hear it? Like an apocalypse, like the sharing of the end times, making this revelation clear. I want to completely grasp who Christ is. Lord, reveal to me all that he is. Notice it says in the revelation, in the knowledge of him. This word knowledge, I'm just going to tell you the Greek word epinosis. It means epi, very specific, personal, intimate, passionate, powerful knowledge of your God. Knowledge of Jesus Christ, that you can know him deeply. I'm not talking about know about him. I'm not talking quote some facts about him. I'm like, you are starting to get who Christ is, maybe for the first time. Maybe never before, and all of a sudden, he's starting to speak in, and you are getting this intimate, personal, specific knowledge of your king of kings and Lord of Lords. That's the Holy Spirit revealing to us. He says in John 16, man, he is here to speak of Christ. He is going to reveal of him. He's going to introduce us to him, and we can know him personally and passionately and powerfully, a knowledge of him. As we literally hear about the gospel message, we come to trust him as Savior, and we begin to grasp what he's accomplishing in our lives. You know, last week we were walking through uh, the verses right before this, verses 11 through 14, and we were talking about the Holy Spirit and how he seals, 
He guarantees an inheritance as we trust in Christ as Savior, the gospel message of hope. And we gave some time in this body, just took some downtime in prayer with some music playing, and let's just hear from our God. And Lord, move in this place. And uh, last week we had 15 people accept Christ as Savior between the two services. 15 people came to trust Christ last week, man. Praise be to God as this place got moved for him, amen? And that's what it's all about. May we celebrate him, amen? He's moving. Hear me. So not about this church and so not about us. So about Jesus Christ. And this is what I love. As we walk through the basics on how to trust Christ and the clarity of what it means to have that gospel message, we had some that went out and were able to share with friends or family the ABCs as we talk about it around here, right? A, admit that I am a sinner. I need a savior. I'm not perfect. B, believe. Not joking around. Believe that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He is king. And confess, you're in charge of my life. You are God. You are God of my life, Lord. What do you have to say to me? That ABCs. And these families went out, and I got a couple of different emails of people sharing out and with different friends and family. And we had very sweet stories of some stuff going on. And man, families getting rocked, people coming to trust Christ as they moved on through the week. I don't know where we're at right now. I think we're at 17 or 18 that have accepted Christ since Sunday. That's got at work, man. Praise be the King. May we worship him. May we grasp him moving. Lord, help me not be in the way. Help me be on my knees. What do I need to do to trust you more? May I know my stunning God personally. Simple question. Do you know him? Do you know him? Are you coming to know him richer and deeper every day. Maybe there's some sin in your life that needs to go, and you know it needs to go. Time to call it done. Like, Lord, I can't hear you whisper because self is screaming so loud. I'm done. I'm sick of the battling. I'm sick of it being all about self. I'm ready to hear from you. You spoke this world into existence. I want to hear from you, God. Please open my heart to you. Man, just respond to him. Set that sin aside and let your God stun you with who he is. That's the privilege we have of knowing him, knowing him personally, all right? That's the first step of enlightenment, the knowing him personally. Second, I can know my awesome future assuredly. I can know my awesome future assuredly. Right? So we start out here uh, in verse 19. Having the eyes of our heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope in which he has called you, what is the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. There are three things that he's letting us know here, all right? So let's go back to the beginning, verse 19 here, or 18. It says, Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, the eyes of your heart, okay? This isn't some creepy thing. This is like a metaphor, okay? It's not like you actually have eyes inside, right? The eyes of your heart. So it's the, what is the heart? That's this ability, this interior of you to think and to feel and to want, to desire, to go after the whole of you 
interior that goes after something. That's your heart. That's what scripture means when they're talking about the heart. He's like the eyes of your heart, your perception, your ability to see it as it is. All right, it's a cool metaphor just speaking about the eyes and get ready because we're going to see that roll out here a little bit. He says, the eyes of your heart are enlightened, enlightened, right? Like in a dark place, light has been given. Picture the darkest place you've ever been in. Just go ahead and picture it. Maybe close your eyes if you need to. Darkest place you've ever been. It was outside, no stars, no moon, whatever. Darkest place you've ever been. Okay, now imagine big, heavy-beamed flashlight, and it goes on, right? And it just lights up everything in front of you, and all of a sudden, you can see so much detail that you could not see before. So he's talking about the eyes of your heart enlightened. You're starting to get stuff you did not get. You're seeing God move where you did not see him move before. You're grasping his passion for you, for your family, for this universe. Your God has it in hand, and you're starting to get it, man. You're getting enlightened. The flashlight's on. It's being shown and revealed. Your heart is being enlightened. And your eyes of your heart are seeing. And uh, love the passion of the statement. And um, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know. Okay, now this word know is different than the other word know that we just went through. The other one was this word epignosis, right? This very particular, intimate, complete knowledge. This word has to do more with the word see. You know, like when you're describing something to somebody that's really complicated. And as you're going through it, they go, oh, I see right? That's what this word is. This word is, oh, that you may see. Like you're starting to get it. He's playing with the word see here. And it's, yes, it affects your knowledge because you're grasping, you're seeing God move. And a huge privilege in that. And uh, Having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know or see what is the hope to which you were called. What is the hope to which you were called? All right? Hope. Now, we've said this before, hope. That is not the word, you know, like, well, I hope so, like we say today, right? I hope so, like a 50-50 chance, maybe, right? Not that kind of hope. Everybody say, not that kind. This is, I am absolutely certain, hope, okay? I am locked in confident, hope. I am not moved. I will not be shaken, Hope in him. And notice what we're hoping. It says, the hope to which he has called you. He at work, his power at work, him drawing you at work, and we are certain of what he's accomplishing. I hope in him. I am certain of my future because I am certain of my king. All right? That's the promise that we have in him. And uh, what hope is this? What detail can we put on it? And we'll talk about it in just a second, all right? I just want to nail down the last phrases here. He says, and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? That's the second thing that we may know. First, that we may know, what is the hope that we can have? And second, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance? Hear me now. Your father is wealthy. If you know God the Father, if you've trusted in Christ as Savior, man, your king, your father, he is wealthy. He owns everything. 
Everything is his, and there's an inheritance down to you, and that makes you have this huge, benevolent, God-giving-in, wealthy. That describes you as well. And so now he starts describing it, and he's like, dude, you are rich. You have this glorious riches. I mean, when's the last time somebody talked about your bank account with the word glorious attached to it, right? He's like, just so you know, you are rich, gloriously rich. Are you hearing it? God pouring in in ways you cannot imagine, gloriously rich with an inheritance in the saints for those who believe, in the saints for those who believe, okay? And so God's pouring it on. We have this privilege of knowing the hope. We have this privilege of knowing more than that, not just the hope, but we also can know of this glorious riches, God pouring it on. Praise be our king. And that's, that's what we have in him. That's the promise that we have in him, the glorious inheritance in the saints. So, so what is this hope? I thought, well, let's write it this way. Four facets to hope, all right? Let's just write these down. Four facets to hope. Number one, return. There's all, these are all gonna be our words, all right? Number one is return. Jesus Christ will return. And it comes from Titus 2, 13. It says, the blessed hope and glorious appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and his glory. Jesus Christ, man. He will return. Hear me now. He spoke this world into existence. When everything goes awry, he comes into this world and pours it in, working with this broken world, having some say in the restoring. He is affecting by his very presence. That's our king. He spoke it into existence. He is working within. He is sacrificing for. He is risen from the dead. He is in heaven. We'll talk more about that in the third point. He is coming back. Jesus Christ will return as King of kings and Lord of lords. It says, tattoo on his thigh, him returning that says, King of kings, no one bigger. I'm the one. I'm just telling you, Revelation 19 is nothing to be toyed with. As he mounts a white horse and comes riding in with hundreds upon thousands, probably even millions upon millions, riding in on the white horses with, and hear me now, not one has a weapon except Jesus Christ. And his weapon is the word of his tongue, and that's it. He speaks, and it is done. Jesus Christ, who spoke it to begin, will speak it to end. He is in charge, King of kings and Lord of lords. He will return. And all of God's people said, Amen. hope. I am certain, amen, I love the applause. I am certain that he is coming back. Not, ah, I think so, maybe. Certain, my king will return. Praise be to God, all right? That's hope, hope in Jesus Christ. That's return number two, second part of, of hope, restoration, restoration. Jesus Christ will come and fix what is broken. Hey, we broke it, he's gonna be fixing it. Revelation 21, verses one through five. Restoration. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. Listen to these verses. This is John talking about a vision he saw of what's going to come in the future. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. 
And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, from the throne, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. He will be restoring. Praise be to God. Jesus Christ has it in hand. He is fixing what is broken. He will be establishing perfection. No tears, no sorrow, no pain, no death. One God leading over everything, and his name is Jesus Christ. He will return. He will restore. We have hope in him. All right? There's the first two. Number three, rewards. Third part of hope is rewards. 1 Corinthians 3, 13 through 15. 1 Corinthians 3, 13 through 15. And uh, it says here, Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Hear me now. Work does not save you. Work does not keep you saved. You hearing me? Work does not initially save. Work does not keep you saved. Work is a thank you offering to our God saying, you're amazing. It is his work on the cross, not our work. It is what he's done for us and our faith in him. That's what saves and that alone. Work does not save. Work does not keep us saved. So listen to what happens with works now, all right? Work. Uh, If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, meaning it wasn't about selfishness, You were actually trying to make much of Jesus Christ and lift him up. If it's not about selfishness and the work survives this testing, he will then receive a reward. Jesus Christ does have reward for those who are actually following him here on earth. This isn't some game and Christ isn't just talking about eternity in the future and nothing about here and now. He's working with us here and now and yes, there are rewards. What kind of rewards? I have no idea. I have no idea. Some have taken wild guesses here and there, and I'll just tell you this. Whatever we guess, I guarantee you, we're guessing too small. This is the God of the universe giving into a world of perfection. I cannot imagine what those rewards are going to look like, but I guarantee you it is going to be jaw-dropping as we see him dispense rewards. He's going to lay them out, and look what it says at the end. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. You hearing it? He himself will be saved, but only as through fire. He will be saved. Works burned, still saved. We are not saved by works. We do not keep our salvation by works. Works can be burned up or rewarded. They are strictly a thank you offering to your king. How well are you doing at thanking him? Okay? And the reward that comes, I don't know what it's going to be. I'm sure it's going to be amazing. Let's leave it to our God and not take a bunch of guesses where scripture has chosen to be a little silent. All right? Just amazing what we have in him. Hope. There will be a return. There will be restoration. There will be reward. And then last, there will be a role. Uh, Role. This comes from Matthew 25, verse 23. Matthew 25, verse 23. It says, well done. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. 
enter into the joy of your master. Man, I'm telling you this, when we enter into heaven for all of eternity, the joy of your master. We think of heaven and we think way too small. I have no idea what it's going to be like, but I guarantee you this. Our God is a creating God. There will be creation of more stuff going on. There will be work being had. There will be partnering alongside of him. There will be heading things up. God will be doing amazing things and we'll have a role in that. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I know this. Absolute joy in the master, total satisfaction in the kingdom, no sorrow, no pain, no hurt, no death, and Jesus Christ sitting where he rightfully should. That's hope. And all of God's people said, that's where we're headed, man. That's what it's all about, hope. All right. So, uh, so I got a question for you. What's up with this word shemitah or shemitah? You know what I'm talking about? Have you seen this? We're talking about it in the news a lot, and it's come up. So let me just explain a little bit here for a second, all right? So every seventh year is called the Shemitah. It's like a Sabbath of the seven years. And the Israelites basically re, uh, relinquish debt. They say, don't worry about it. You don't have to pay that anymore. So they release people from debt every seventh year. They call that the Shemitah, okay, or the Sabbath of seven years. Now, when seven of those seven years stack up, the end of that is called the year of Jubilee, the 50th year. And now there's a massive celebration of who God is and the forgiveness of debt and the releasing of things. And so those things kind of all stack up. We have that going on right now. I don't know if you know that. The Shemitah actually ends today, actually, is where we're at with it right now. And so there's a lot of people looking at it going, man, big things happen around the seventh year ofs with Israel. And especially around the 50th year of, big things happen. All right? And so what's going to be happening? Let's go one step further. Have you heard the phrase blood moons? Have you heard that? Okay. So what is that? The moon is actually, when it gets to a full moon, the light that's coming through comes around the Earth's atmosphere, and because it's the way it's sitting comes through the Earth's atmosphere, and the reddish-brown of the lighting kind of hits the moon that way, and it now looks like a reddish-brown full moon rather than a blazing white full moon. That's called a blood moon, all right? And we've actually had four of those in the last year and a half. That doesn't happen very often. So now you have a stacked up thing with four blood moons in a row here, all landing on feasts for Israel, on top of it the seventh year, the Shemitah, and then on top of it the year of Jubilee. All of that stacking up, right? And oh my word, what does that mean? And what could be happening? And I have no idea. <laughs> I have absolutely no clue. I want to be very clear on that. There is nothing in Scripture that says what it does mean or what it could mean. Here's the one statement I want to make about it, though. Be very careful, because in the midst of looking into all this detail and information, here's one thing I've noticed happening. Hope is starting to get turned to fear. Hope getting turned to fear. And, and what if, and what does it mean, and what about, and could this happen, and if it does, then... And let's be careful that we don't let our hope be stolen away. And all of God's people said, man, hang on to that hope you cling. And I'm telling you this, our God is at work. And is he going to do something amazing real soon here in the next couple weeks or a month? Maybe. I'll tell you this, God is always at work. And I don't know what he's going to be doing. And I know this, always at work. And yes, he'll be doing something in the upcoming weeks here. Okay, so everybody's heard me now, right? I've spoken to Shemitah, and I've told you what I know, which is nothing. I know nothing, but I know this. 
Hope is where we need to stand, not fear. Don't let the facts that you start hearing get you rocked to where you start worrying about the things of this world. That is God's to handle, not ours. He is the one who will return. He is the one who will reconcile. He has it in hand. And all of God's people said, that's my little speech on the Shemitah, all right? So let me just say this. Let's talk a little bit about hope as a closing story here for that piece. There was a guy who was living in a a little town, lived there for about a year, told the story to some of his friends. Uh, The neighboring area was in dire need of some water, and so they decided to uh, put a lake in, kind of a man-made lake. They were going to open up a dam and let the water flood into this basin, Uh, but it put in jeopardy a few towns. So they came and spoke to the townspeople and let them know that they would help them. They'd buy out some property and stuff, but I'm telling you, this is going to be flooded over, and you're going to have this town underwater. All right, this is going to become a lake in the area, and so we're going to need you to consider what it looks like to move on. You would not believe how fast people stopped mowing their lawns and planting flowers and painting houses and keeping it up. The amount of care for the place just collapsed, and the whole thing became dilapidated inside of six to nine months. All right, why? The guy was sitting at the table and he said, Here's my statement. Where there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. Where there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. That is what you need to land on for your hope in the future. Where there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. Hope. We hope in Jesus Christ. We trust in his word. We long for him to do his thing. He will return. He will reconcile. He will be handing out rewards. He does have roles to give out. My God is in charge, and I'm trusting him as he leads. That's my call. May he be glorified as we move with him. God, I can't wait to see you in full splendor and glory. I can't wait to be done with this broken world, and I can't wait to be on with you. Praise be to God right? Hope. Question. Do you hope in him? Are you grabbing onto him and are you leaning on the promises of tomorrow and are you allowing it to bring a power into today? Hope. Or is the selfishness of this world or some sinfulness that you're in taking your mindset and your distraction away? Time to set it down. Time to hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit as he gives wisdom and revelation as you grasp your hope. Let's live as one saved. Are you hearing me? Let's live as one saved. I cannot say this more passionately. Let's live as one saved. He has changed your world. He has rocked it from the bottom up. He has stepped in where we did not deserve it. He took your penalty of sin on him. And in the midst of that, you have salvation so rich and free. Do not dispense of it. Do not dismiss it. Do not forget about it. Lean on your king. Hope in future. That's what it looks like. All right? Are you ready to hope in him? That's our challenge. So first, knowing him personally. Second, knowing your future. And third, 
I can know his unmatchable power experientially. I can know his unmatchable power experientially. I can know his unmatchable power experientially. We start in verse 19 here. So remember, we were told we could know three things. One was hope, the other was the riches of his glorious inheritance, and now the third one here as we start verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Immeasurable greatness. Dude, you do not have a ruler big enough. You hear me? You do not have a scale wide enough. You cannot measure the greatness of the power of your God. Cannot. Everybody say, can't measure it. I'm telling you, can't measure it. And all too often, we actually get into this mode. Oh, I can measure it. And I find it to be wanting. I find God's power small. Where is he in this problem? Right? And we start declaring out what is an absolute lie. His power is immeasurable. The greatness of his power, staggering. So now let me just tell you this. You can break the character traits of God down into greatness and goodness, all right? The greatness character traits of God, we will never have and can never match up, ever. When he starts talking about the greatness of God, we do not have it, we will not have it, we cannot match up. This is all-powerful, all-present, capable of knowing all things. The greatness of your God is in the vastness of him and so beyond the created beings that we are. He is immeasurable. He is unbelievable. He is glorious in that. And uh, what a privilege we have of being able to know. He says here, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power, of his power toward us who believe? This is towards those who are saved. Everybody say, for those who are saved. Be very careful, okay? Let's not go running off just teaching that all you have to do is somehow read the Bible and you get magic power. It isn't that. It's a personal relationship with your God, saved, trusting in him, asking him to reveal, and for those who are saved, he releases to you a power that is unbelievable. It is immeasurable. It'll rock your world. The greatness of God displayed. Do you know him? Do you know his power? Has he rocked your world? And well, what kind of power? Glad you asked. So he answers it here. He's like, let me tell you about this power. Yeah, he says right after it, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ. Father working through the Son now. Power released in Jesus Christ and through Christ. Here's the power. He was raised from the dead, seated him at the right hand of the heavenlies, Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the one to come. Uh, he put all things under his feet and his head over the church. Seven awesome truths about the power of God released in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our everything. He is our hope as we watch God work through him. The power he released in Christ is the very power he's looking to release in you. Are you hearing that? Dude, we're sitting here talking about what does it mean to get transformation, and we're going to be talking about that for the next three or four months in different ways in three, four different series here as we go. And I'm just telling you, it is hope because we know the one who has this power. It is not, boy, I hope I can muscle up some transformation in myself. Dude, that is hopeless. It is not, boy, it's all right here. It's, it's all right here. God the Father pouring into God the Son and that power he displayed is the work he's going to unleash in you. Are you ready for that power to be worked? Check this now. Check what he says. 
He says right here, the power, he raised him from the dead. Jesus Christ went to the cross. I heard a statement this last week, powerful. It said, there is no place in all the earth ever in all of eternity except that spot at the cross. No place like it where so much sin was dealt with all at one time. So much sin all in one spot, all on the earth, all at one time. And Christ took it on himself. All of the sins of us, past, present, and future. Are you hearing me? Past, present, and future covered at the cross. As the wrath of God poured down covering that and Jesus Christ offering up his blood for us, his shed blood for me, every moment that Christ took there saying, for them, I love them. And he lavished it out. And I'm just telling you, that's just the death. We're not even at it, the part he's talking about here. He was raised from the dead, conquering death. So conquered sin, conquered death, absolute victory, stunned everyone around him as he is now alive and walking. There is power in our king to bring life. Amen? Power to bring life. He raises from the dead. Now look at what he says next. Not only just raised from the dead, seated him at the right hand in the heavenlies. Raised him up into the heavenlies, ascended, and then seated, meaning work done. Seated at the right hand, his ruling, judging hand. Work done. Christ seated. It's over. Seated him at the right hand in the heavenlies, waiting for the end time where Christ is to return. Sweet moment there. And it says, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every rule. Hey, hear me. Think of somebody in charge of something. Think of a name. Think of big. Start thinking of a nation, maybe. Get a name. Jesus Christ is bigger. Bigger than any name you could ever come up with. No matter how hard you work and try, far above. Okay? Who's in charge of all evil? What name would we tie to that guy? Say it loud. What's his name? Yeah, they made me say Satan in church. That was weird, right? So Satan is his name. He's in charge of the evil of this world. Far above every dominion and rule. Are you hearing me? Satan created being. Christ far above. He has nothing to say to Christ. He is nothing but created being. We serve the one who is king of kings. No one like him. Far above. That's our king. It says then also, um, not just far above all rule and authority, but above every name that is named. So all people everywhere, all time. Not only in this age, but also in the one that is to come. Like for all of eternity, this is the truth. There is never going to be someone over Christ. Never and he put all things under his feet. Now not just people, now creation, things, material, everything under him. He is ruling as king over his kingdom. Put all things under his feet and him as head over all things to the church. Hear me now. Jesus Christ is in charge of this church. Do you believe that? Yeah, we believe that. As elders and pastors, Jesus Christ is in charge of this church. And we hand it over to him. Lord, what do you want done? He is building his church. May he be in charge with all authority. Notice what it says here at the end. Uh, head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You get to be a model for who Christ is, showing the fullness of Christ. 
as he moves in this body, as you get saved, as you grow in your walk, as you get healing, as you start transforming, as God does a work in you, you changed to be more like him. What a privilege as God rocks your personal world. Simple question. We're enlightened. We have the chance to know him personally. We have the chance to know our future assuredly. And we have the chance to know our, his power experientially. Are you ready to be rocked by your God? Are you ready? And what is it that's in the way? What needs to go today? Some distraction in the way. God is ready to do an amazing work and stun us with who he is. God at work. And all of God's people said, that's our hope in him. Let's pray.